welcome. You are listening to Virtually Legal, where we answer questions for people looking to get into law and beyond. In this week's episode, we're focusing on the beyond part of our mission statement, looking at what can come after a career in law and asking how you can make the move. As ever, I'm totally unqualified to talk on the subject, but I found someone who is. Gish, thank you so much for joining and welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Pleasure to be here. And so just for the benefit of our listeners, are you able to give a bit of background on yourself um, and give them a flavour of why it is that you're able to talk about career moves and helping people make those moves? Absolutely, yeah. So um, I am a specialist legal recruiter, an associate director with a company called Think Legal Recruitment. Uh, and in my in my job, I spend a lot of time advising lawyers on their career moves um, within the law and those who would be leaving law. But I also spend a lot of time advising people coming into law. I would just like to flag at this point in the episode. If any of my employers are listening, there is no ulterior motive in me speaking to a legal recruiter. This is purely for academic purposes, and I hope you find some benefit in it. Um, I just I had I had to get that out in the open within the first two minutes. I, I, that's absolutely fine. I think that's fair. No, I'm I'm very much here as a guest and uh, to, try, yeah. to to try and offer some some depth to your audience. Please carry on. So you work as a legal recruiter currently, but you've done a whole host of stuff leading up until this point. I have yes. So um, I if we, I think we should go all the way back to the start. So uh, I have an LLB. And I completed my LPC as well. So um, academically, I was very much on on the on the path towards a career in law. Um, but after my LPC, I kind I, I very much went down a different path. And in the course of my career um, since two thousand and nine, two thousand and ten. Um, which is now that I now that I say it out loud is a long time ago. Um, I've I've worked in various different industries, which have given me a fair amount of I kind of uh, exposure to different things. Um, but I did in a way gravitate back towards the law by coming into legal recruitment uh, back in two thousand and fourteen. Twenty ten actually does feel like a long while ago when you think that was the last recession, and now we've got like a whole new one just around the corner. How? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's that's upsetting. That's upsetting for a multitude of reasons. You're right, 2010 was a long time ago. Um, and so what was it once you'd done the LPC that made you think, no, not for me, want to explore something else? So I did my LLB and I really enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed it, um, you know, the academic side of law. I very much enjoyed the learning side and the various different like mo- modules, etc. that you do as, as an undergraduate law student. And then... When I came and I, I, I did the LPC, if I'm to be honest, I did the LPC because my parents told me to. Um, I had no idea really what I wanted to do. I did think at the time I wanted a career in law, but I didn't know what that career would look like. or I really didn't know how that career would come to fruition. So the next logical step was to do the LPC because I, I needed the LPC to then take that step into law at some point. So I did the LPC and it was during the LPC, I have to be honest, I didn't enjoy the LPC as much as I enjoyed the LLB. Um, Interesting. I was the other way around. I hear that a lot. I do. I really do. I, cause I, I have this conversation, um, not quite in, this, in, this, in, in as much depth as we, as we are today, um, <laughs> but I have this conversation a lot and... Uh, the, the re- reaction is often the same as, as yours there. It, it, people say, naturally, they enjoy the LPC more than the LLB. No, but I, I, can see, I can see how you can just end up on a path 
to becoming a lawyer and then it would be quite hard at some point to be like wait is this actually what I want because it it often starts like with your A-levels and then you go to university and then you get the LPC and now then it's like training contract which is now SQE but it, it can feel like a bit of a tick box like you're just on track and I think sometimes you might lose sight of like is this actually what I want to do? Absolutely. I, I did the LLB. Um, again, I'm going to sound like I'm blaming my parents a lot this evening. I'm not. <laughs> I, I did the LLB Podcast because... Podcast slash therapy session. Indeed. I mean, it's going to be cathartic. I'm, I'm very ha- really happy to be here. Um, yeah, I did the LLB because my, my parents very much encouraged it. And I had no qualms with that whatsoever at the time. I, I think, you know, when we're at the age of 17 applying for UCAS and we decide to do a law degree, which isn't well isn't it's it's indirectly vocational in a way um Mm. it's very hard at that point in your life to know what you want to do for the for the rest of your life you know you've still got a lot to learn you've still got a lot to experience so we do follow the the advice and the guidance of those that we trust and you know those that um you know we're close to i i suppose there wasn't either I didn't seek it out or it wasn't presented to me, but there wasn't a lot in terms of career guidance at the time. It was, you need to do the LPC to get a training contract to become a solicitor. Um, But I really didn't enjoy it. I really didn't. I think I'd switched off. Um, However, I was determined. So I I stuck it through to the end. And uh, during my time on the LPC, I managed to score a bit of um, work experience uh, with the Crown Prosecution Service. And I carried that on for quite a while because it was me determining kind of which branch of law I wanted to work in. And I'd always found criminal law the most interesting. Um, So after I'd completed the LPC, I had actually, um, I'd actually stood for a student's union election at the time. So my job, my first job post LPC was, um, I was a vice president of the of Birmingham City Students Union uh, in the represent- representation and campaigns office, uh, which was really fun. I, I basically, it got, it kept me at uni for another year uh, while I was putting off, you know, stepping into the real world. But in hindsight, I think I was, trying to figure out what to do. And while I was doing that, I was still doing work experience with the CPS and it very quickly dawned on me that as much as I do enjoy criminal law, and I think it's a certainly a fascinating uh, kind of area of law to work in, it's, it's not where I wanted to be. It, it's not where I saw myself, you know, career-wise, long-term. Um, so I, I up sticks and I left and I said, right, I'm gonna go and do something else. And genuinely, I had no idea what I was going to do at the time. And so if you didn't have that career guidance, where where did you go next? And like, where did you kind of look for that guidance or did something just like happen upon you? Uh, it was actually a little bit of both. Um, caught up with a, a very good friend of mine um, who I'd gone to school with and he had been in a similar position where he'd finished his degree and he didn't really know what to do with his life. And he had, um, he'd been, he'd, had been put in touch with a recruiter he put me in touch with that same person so I moved down to London I moved into my sister's spare room uh, and we lived in Fulham at the time and the first job I got was in corporate sales I didn't stay in that job very long um, but I was I was in a place where I you know I felt that I was um, you know I enjoyed the atmosphere and I enjoyed the environment I was in so I I said this is where I need to be for the next few years and while I didn't quite have an idea of what I was going to do, 
I was really enjoying the social side of being in London and being around my sister and all my friends. And I was, uh, I was also uh, in a band and we were gigging a lot. So I was really enjoying life. But actually what I needed to do was find something that was going to give me a fairly good, uh, give me the opportunity to enjoy that lifestyle, pay the bills and have, you know, be, be challenging and have an element of progression about it. And lo and behold, I found myself um, not that long after moving into financial services. I, I, I managed to uh, move into, into life and, and work as a broker, uh, trading interest rate options and derivatives. And that came about actually quite out of the blue. And so how did the move into brokering come about? Were you, um, had you is this something you'd qualified into? Was it a kind of learn on the job opportunity? Yeah, I was absolutely not qualified for the job. For me, it was very much a learn on the job uh, scenario. And actually, a lot of people I worked with in that environment, uh, and I think you know within the city, they don't uh, they don't necessarily have the academic qualification for you know financial trading, uh, but they have a background and an, un- an understanding that can be built upon. So for me, um, it came about. So I was working in sales. And I think there is a certain character uh, that comes with working in sales, uh, which is the same as working in recruitment, which I I can give you a bit on uh, shortly, but in terms of transferring that into being a broker. um, Mm. So my my brother-in-law was a trader. So he and I were out for drinks one night and he said to me, you know what, you'd be really good at this job. I don't want to say that there was any nepotism involved, but he made an introduction for me. And I went and I met these people and it was, that interview was really, really bizarre because the first question, well, first of all, you know, we did our introductions and, um, you know, they wanted to know a bit about me, about my background, and they were very interested in my my law degree and my LPC. Uh, But at no point did they ask me how those skills I'd learned there would be transferable into this world of uh, financial trading. and it was all very jovial, very conversational. And then the interview took a real turn and they asked me, what is the stupidest thing you've ever done? And I honestly- Sorry, is this actually like one of my nightmares? <laughs> this, <laughs> well, is, this is like an insight into the back of my mind or sometimes when I'm having a conversation with someone and it just takes an absolute handbrake turn. That's the worst thing that could happen in an interview. I think that's why they asked it. I honestly think that's what they wanted to see how I acted under pressure. They wanted to see how I, you know, how I would handle a difficult situation. And at the age of 23, 24, um, being asked, what's the stupidest thing you've ever done? I had an absolute bank of material to, to pick from. But I yeah, said- Yeah, oh my God, I'd like, <laughs> let me go through the archives. What do you want? Well, I was honest with them and I told them, at the time, the stupidest thing that I had ever done, and it made them laugh. And Are you willing to reveal it on a podcast, hypothetically? Absolutely. Would Would, would you <laughs> like to know? <laughs> I'd love to know. <laughs> so, would you, do you want to know at the time or, or since then? You know what? Because it's been thirteen years since that interview, so a, a lot has happened in that time. <laughs> oh no! Right. So, what was the answer? that you gave them that landed you a job as a broker? Um, So at the time, the stupidest thing I had ever done um, was was volunteer to be a human fireball. (gasps) What? (laughs) So confused, so confused. And I would like to flag for the listeners, 
please do not be putting this on applications. It's not sound career advice. And I really didn't see the interview going this way at all. I would, I would like to add to that as well. I mean, you know, it is also my professional opinion as a recruiter and my personal opinion just as a person um, that <laughs> nobody ever do this. I, I put, either put this on a CV or in an interview say what I'm about to tell you. Um, even if it's true, don't. Um, so basically when we were at uni, we uh, did a lot of stupid things, of course, as people do, uh, when you're in your, your late teens and early twenties. And um, there, was a, there was a party at a friend's house one night and um, there was a slip and slide uh, down the garden and somebody said, it wouldn't it be great if somebody did that, but whilst on fire. And I said, I'll do it. No. Yeah. I think transferable skills wise shows a lot, you know, it, you're not going to follow the pack, are you, Gish? Um. <laughs> this is the thing. I, I do. I, I don't. I do like to stand out. Um, I think I've I've since learned to stand out in different ways. Um, I actually think this segues quite nicely because I was about to ask you about different personality types, and maybe let's not focus on the fireball thing so much. But when you're in the pub with your brother and he said to you, "I think you'd be good at this," mm-hmm. what is it that you think he was? getting at about you as a as a personality and a character that meant that you would potentially be predis like predisposed to being able to switch into a career that you weren't qualified for i am um i'm incredibly uh stubborn uh and i'm incredibly competitive and i think those are two things where in that world and i think that is also transferable in the right way into you know into a sales environment i would also say into the law um, you know, to be to be competitive isn't necessarily a bad thing. To be stubborn, and but to project that in the right way isn't necessarily a bad thing. And I think what he was getting at there was, you know, I had the right attitude when I apply myself to something that I simply want to succeed. Um, and I think what also then happened in in that interview uh, was after they'd asked me about the stupidest thing I'd ever done and they found that funny, their tone changed massively. And I had been warned about this by my brother-in-law that they were going to ask me some rapid fire maths questions. And um, because the job, you know, you have to do very quick calculations whilst under pressure and you have to get it right because you are, although although the the sums are notional, you're trading potentially billions of pounds. Um, Yeah. And I think, you know, I think what my brother-in-law was getting out there was actually... I I was I was very determined to to prove that not going into the law was a mistake or wasn't a mistake. Sorry, should I say? Um, right. Yeah. That, that, yeah. Um, yeah. So I think I think that's what he was getting at. I think he was saying my you know my my attitude in that regard would lend well to this this environment that I was potentially going into, where it was very cutthroat. It was you know it was very high pressured. Um, but it was it was full of adrenaline as well. And how do you kind of balance when you're in that environment? Because I imagine you're kind of in a room with people who are just radiating, fake it till you make it. But how do you reconcile that with um, imposter syndrome and you know bal- balancing those two things and not knowing what you're doing and thriving off that, but also feeling potentially quite insecure about that? You simply have to not care in that environment. And I'm not saying that that's necessarily the right approach to take. For me, 
it was because I never saw it as something I was going to do long term for the rest of my life. I saw it as something I was going to do for a couple of years. It was very intense. It was very high pressured. And a lot of the people around me had either been doing it for 20 years. So they'd been doing it in an environment that was very different. The open outcry pits had no, no longer existed. Um, but those were, you know, the, the kind of that classic motif of, of banking in, in, the, in the 80s and the early 90s with um, what you see at like the New York Stock Exchange, people screaming at each other, holding bits of paper, sh- waving them in, in people's faces. Yeah, um, one that, one particular film coming to mind right now. It really, yeah, I, yeah, <laughs> it does, doesn't it? Um, you know that that world no longer really exists. Uh, it certainly didn't when I when I went into into financial services. Um, but I think there are a lot of people who are in that room who've got a single ambition. They just want to make as much money as possible, so they don't care how they do it. And that was the attitude I had to take. I, I went I went in for that interview. They asked me some interesting questions. They asked me some difficult questions. Ultimately, they gave me the job. I, and I said, well, I've been offered this. I might as well take it. You know, I've literally got nothing to lose. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. I move on, I do something else. So in addition to kind of the characteristics that your brother obviously saw in you and that set you in good stead for your career in brokering, as a legal recruiter, are there any or many commonalities between people you see who are kind of regular career movers? Like, do you think there is a certain type of person that's predisposed to jumping from career to career successfully? Um, the answer is honestly both yes and no. So I think you, you see people who will qualify in law and will spend the first four or five years, you know, going up the traditional career ladder from either from solicitor to associate or from associate to senior associate. And then they reach a point where they feel like they don't necessarily want to go any further in that traditional private practice or in-house role. So they go down a um, an interim role or an interim path, should I say, and take on you know con- consultant positions or fixed term contracts and so i think you know to say that there are certain types of people that are predisposed to it i i think no but i think there are there are people that see the opportunity in doing fixed term contracts and see a certain like flexibility and autonomy in doing fixed term contracts over having a permanent job now that will come down to lifestyle and every candidate that i've met through throughout my nine-year career as a legal recruiter who has been focused on who has taken their career down that path going you know doing consultant or ftc roles um the the one single thing they all have in common is that they simply don't want to stay in one place too long it's almost they're almost a bit nomadic um you know they they need a new challenge they need a new environment they like to meet new people a lot of them travel a lot of them move around the country and, and actually all over the world um depending on their qualification for these roles and then the converse to that is, you know, I see an equal amount of people, if not more people, who are very focused on staying where they are and moving you know, upwards through the firm and not, you know, not having to, not, not wanting to leave, uh, only leaving if they, if they really have to, uh, or only moving on if they really have to. And um, often that is, you know, f- f- for most people who kind of take that approach, I think, they have the goal is you know is longevity is career stability um so i don't know that there are people you know i i can't say um i can't say 
that there are people that are have that there are personality types that are predisposed to it. I think it comes down to individual ambition. That's interesting. I didn't think you were going to say that, but it actually does make a lot of sense. Um, yeah, no, I, I can definitely appreciate that. And if you were someone that was looking to make the move, perhaps for the first time, say, you know, you're not entirely settled with what you do with what you're doing um, and you want a change. How do you know, firstly, when's the right time to move? And by contrast, when does moving just become quitting your job? For someone who, you know, is not necessarily in any danger of losing their job or is not necessarily unhappy in their role, but is simply curious about what's out there and is then met with an opportunity uh, that ticks all the right boxes in terms of progression, quality of work, work life balance, salary, everything that goes with it. My advice to that person when they say, oh, I'm not sure, would be, well, I'm not going to, I'm certainly not going to say that you have to move. That is not my job. And that's, you know, both professionally and personally, I wouldn't do that. But I would say any time that you do move in these kind of scenarios or any time you are presented with this type of opportunity, you have to consider that there is an element of it being a leap of faith. You are stepping somewhat into the unknown. You just have to be confident in yourself, in what you're bringing to the table, um, that it's going to be successful. And, and what what about having a sense of moving for the right reasons and moving because it's something that you want to do as opposed to moving because perhaps you haven't stuck out your job for long enough, you know, and you think that you don't like it, but you're worried that perhaps there's a chance that you just haven't committed to it enough um, as opposed to seeing an opportunity and thinking it's great and then taking that leap of faith. So if... If you're moving, your your reasons, whatever they are, are the right reasons. If it's that you, you know, if, <laughs> if it's that you want more money, that's fine. If it's that you're no longer getting the the level or the quality or the type of work that you were promised or that you had expected, that's also fine. If you're moving to a whole different part of the country, that's also fine. You know, the right reasons are very personal. They're very individual, um, and I don't think it's ever well. I can't say I don't think it's ever just a case of people not waiting long enough. I think, you know, I do advise people to stay a little bit longer. I had a conversation with, with a candidate only last week and I said to this person that you need to be in, in, in your position for at least another six to nine months because I think you're I think you're jumping too soon. I think you're reacting emotionally to something that isn't, you know, isn't entirely out of your control. So you need to have a conversation. Oh, interesting. Yeah, okay, yeah, that yeah, that's what I was wondering. Mm. It, it's a part of the job it's a part of what we do it's you know I think people look at recruiters and think all you want to do is move people and make money and ultimately that is what we do we help people move jobs and that's how we make money but a large part of my job is giving people you know unbiased advice if I don't think if, if a candidate calls me and you know tells me what the, their situation is what their problems are and ask for my help i will give i will do my best to help that person but sometimes my helping that person is saying stay where you are going back to your six to nine months point when you said to this person you know just like wait it out move that into the context of how are employers looking at career movers if i if they get someone's cv and it says you know every two years you move jobs is that a good thing and they're going to think God, they've got so much experience. Yes, please. Or are they going to think, God, this person's totally non-committal, and we don't want to touch them? It it varies. Um, it, it 
the way you've put it there, it genuinely goes both ways. So, you know, if if I'm your recruiter, or I think any any good recruiter would do the same, we want to understand each move you've made when we see your CV. We want to know, so why did you go from this firm to that firm at that time? And okay. why will you, why did you then leave after two years or why did you leave after six months or why did you know why did you spend five years there and only one year there so as long as we can understand what those moves are we can then pass that message on to the recruiting firm to the recruiting partner yeah yeah that makes a lot of sense and i guess one kind of final question i have for you since i've got the benefit of a legal recruiter in front of me is what is a big trend that you're seeing in the moment in the legal recruitment sphere. I'm hearing a lot of talk about, you know, it's kind of, it's a movers market. It's not an employer's market. Is, does that ring true for you? Uh, yes. Uh, but again, depends on discipline. And I feel like I'm giving you very non-committal answers tonight by saying both yes and no to pretty you're much giving, every question. You're giving very lawyer answers. You can tell you have a legal background. <laughs> Good. It didn't go to waste. Um, so yeah, you know, what what are the trends we're seeing at the moment? Um, yeah, look, it is very much a candidate-driven market at the moment. I think um, to give you an idea, to give you an uh, so I I work the Birmingham and the Midlands market, uh, and I've got over a hundred live vacancies um, on my desk oh, wow. at the moment. Yeah, and that's across probably fifteen different firms. Um, so there's obviously multiple va- multiple roles, multiple vacancies at, at, at different firms, of course. Um, and are a lot of those at the same level? They they're hugely varied. I've probably got in, you know, I'm probably lo- only looking for two or three, you know, newly qualified solicitors at the moment. So that will include those who qualified in September and October this year, and will also include those who are going to qualify between now and March or April next year. Um, and then the rest are in in the the two to 10 PQE range. Um, And the thing is with there being so many vacancies, you would think, great, there's loads of opportunity out there. And don't get me wrong, there there really is loads of opportunity. It depends what you do though. So, you know, for example, if if you're an employment lawyer, um, the market is never that kind for employment lawyers because when employment employment jobs come up, they they get snapped up very quickly because it's a very sought after um, area of law. And when firms are recruiting externally for employment lawyers, they are they move incredibly quickly on the people that they do like. Um, and they, you know, they, don't, they don't hold a role open for let's say a month to wait and see who might be out there. As soon as they get a, you know, a, a, a candidate on their desk who ticks, if not all, but some of most of the right boxes, they will meet that person. Whereas real estate, is always um, always busy. There's always opportunity. There's always room for more in real estate. Um, what we're seeing at the moment, we're seeing quite um, quite an increase in litigation roles, um, and we're also seeing an increase in um, private client and medical negligence, um, which is not uh, dissimilar to what I understand were trends in the previous recession. Uh, but back then, I was trading interest rate options and derivatives and trying to fix things. <laughs> trying to fix things. <laughs> trying to fix things, yes. I was, tra- I was trading against currency. So some days I was making it better, some days I was making it worse. And uh, <laughs> it's, I it's am hard, sorry. It's, it's hard work, but someone's got to do it. Absolutely. 
Fantastic. I think that's a that's a good place to finish. Kish, thank you so much for coming on. Um, all of your insights have been absolutely fantastic. And again, if anyone that employs me is listening, I promise I'm here for the long haul.